you can be a great scientist and write the, you know, do the best quantitative analyses, but if you can't translate those findings for action, if you can't help people understand why is this important, you can't communicate that, you're not going to have the impact that you want. On episode five of the Prevention Matters podcast, I speak with Dr. Christopher Jones, Deputy Director at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, about his role at the National Center for Injury Prevention and Control, how his experience in recovery has influenced his work in substance abuse prevention, advice for new professionals entering the field, his experience as an officer in the U.S. Public Health Service, and how many push-ups he can do. All of that and much more on this episode of the Prevention Matters Podcast. The National Prevention Science Coalition is the premier professional association dedicated to translating scientific knowledge into effective and sustainable programs and policies to enhance the well-being of children, families, and communities. To find out more about the National Prevention Science Coalition or to become a member, please visit www.npscoalition.org. And now the host of the Prevention Matters podcast, Dr. Robert Lachos. Dr. Christopher Jones is a captain in the U.S. Public Health Service and serves as the deputy director and current acting director of the CDC's National Center for Injury Prevention and Control. In this role, he provides strategic policy and scientific direction and coordination on a broad range of injury and violence topics, including drug overdose prevention, suicide prevention, and the prevention of adverse childhood experiences. Dr. Jones, welcome to the Prevention Matters podcast. Great. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to the discussion. So let's begin by looking at your background and how did you get into public health and substance use prevention? Well, I... My training is uh, first as a pharmacist, um, and then I also have additional uh, training. I have a doctorate degree in health policy, um, so additional training in public health. So I've always been interested in doing public health work, um, and really the intersection of clinical medicine and public health. And when I finished pharmacy school, I started at CDC really focusing on bioterrorism um, it wasn't until a few years later in my work when I was at the Food and Drug Administration that I was asked to go on a detailed assignment for a year to the White House Office of National Drug Control Policy to support their substance use prevention work. And that was really um, a great way to fully uh, invest professionally and personally into substance use prevention work. Um, from a personal perspective, I, I'm a person in long-term recovery. Uh, I've been in recovery for, from substance use disorder for over 20 years. And so there was always a very personal appeal to this work and in, in recognizing the real opportunity for change at both the individual and the population level by focusing on substance use prevention. So throughout most of my career in the federal government, um, I have worked on substance use and overdose prevention at FDA, at the White House, as I mentioned, uh, at the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, and also at CDC. 
And how do you think your training as a pharmacist, as well as a person in recovery, affects your work that you do day to day? Certainly the pharmacy training helps me understand some of the science and what's going on when people are using substances. How does that interact with your with your body? How does it interact with your brain? How does that increase risk for substance use uh, disorders or for overdose? So there's a very sort of scientific understanding of, of addiction and overdose that my pharmacy training certainly has helped. Um, and then, you know, being in recovery, um, I think just adds a layer of, I just get it. I've walked in those shoes. And I think as we think about programs and policies for prevention and improving public health, that lived experience is something that's just really important as we think about, could could we ask people to do this? Could communities actually do it? Does this make sense for people who are going to be impacted by the program or the policy? So I think it is, it, it is not surprising to me that I naturally gravitated towards this work because of both the professional side and training, but also just the personal lived experience. And so what does, um the CDC's Center for Injury Prevention and Control do? What, is that, what does it look like on a daily basis or a weekly basis? Well, at CDC in the National Center for Injury Prevention and Control, we cover the non-infectious disease, non-chronic disease topics like substance use and overdose prevention, suicide prevention, violence prevention, um, older adult falls, traumatic brain injury, transportation safety, um, drowning. So there's a broad range of topics, uh, but in the substance use and overdose prevention space, we're really the the locus of overdose prevention work at CDC. And our, our work falls into five main areas. And I would say on any given day, we're doing work in all of these areas. So the first is monitoring, analyzing, and communicating trends so people understand what's going on where is the problem? How is the problem changing? The second is working with state, tribal, local, and territorial uh, partners to expand their capacity to do substance use and overdose prevention. The third is supporting providers, health systems, payers, and employers in their efforts for overdose prevention. Uh, the fourth area is partnering with public safety and community organizations, recognizing that the substance use piece is very complex and that law enforcement and criminal justice have a role to play uh, and that many community-based organizations also have a role to play, but working together, we are much more likely to have an impact. Um, and then the last area, which I think is very consistent with CDC's work overall, is raising public awareness about these issues and also working to combat stigma. Recently, the CDC took over the Drug-Free Communities Program from SAMHSA, and I have a DFC um, grant focusing in on reducing youth substance use as well as opioid overdose prevention. But what I find in my work in, in drug prevention is that there's a big gap between what we know in the research literature that works, that is, what do we know about effective drug uh, prevention and what's actually being done on the ground. What is the CDC doing to kind of close that gap? 
Yeah, I think it's a really great question. It's certainly a very important point in that, you know, when we took the DFC program, the administration of that program over, we really viewed it as an opportunity to help raise the visibility of what does work for substance use prevention. Um, so we're working with ONDCP as well as CADCA, which is a key partner for community coalitions to disseminate information about the evidence base for different substance use prevention strategies um, through social media, through more traditional media channels, through publications. Um, and I would say another area where, where we're also making progress is raising um, awareness around adverse childhood experiences. And I think historically this has been viewed as sort of in the violence prevention space. But when you look at the research, there is a clear connection between exposure to childhood trauma or ACEs or early adversity and risk for future substance use. Um, and we have uh, used publications from CDC over the last several years to really raise that visibility of the connection between ACEs and substance use, because I do think it gets to your point that there are evidence-based strategies. The evidence base for social-emotional learning programs that can be implemented in schools or that are sort of a school community collaboration, something like strengthening families or life skills training, um, show benefit and lasting protective effects uh, for reducing substance use uh, even into early adulthood. And we know that the longer we can delay initiation of substances, the less likely individuals will be to develop substance use order disorders later in life. And we think there's a real opportunity to merge the ACEs prevention work with substance use prevention because there's just so much overlap and interest. And we can really get upstream and help create resilient individuals, families, and communities that have payoffs for substance use prevention, but also other risk behaviors like perpetrating violence or suicide or other mental health challenges that may develop later in life. And so we're trying to use CDC's tools and resources um, to raise that awareness, to help people make those connections, to identify what is evidence-based. We put out an ACEs prevention resource uh, tool a few years ago, which lays out the evidence-based strategies for ACEs prevention, which I think is a good roadmap for what communities who are focusing on substance use prevention uh, might use to help advance their efforts. So I imagine in your role as the director, you interact with a number of people with various backgrounds in public health. And I teach in an MPH program, a master's of public health program. And you probably interact with a number of behavioral scientists as well. What skills do our graduates need if they're going to work at the CDC or at the National Center for Injury Prevention and Control? Well, we certainly have many people with an MPH uh, who work uh, in the Injury Center at CDC, and even some with undergraduate public health degrees, as those are increasingly becoming more common. I think, you know, really, it even within the MPH, we have people who are more in the traditional epidemiology track, uh, social behavioral sciences, um, people who work in the policy lane or communications. So I think having a skill set that 
um, is able to think big picture, to synthesize information that might be coming from disparate data sources to sort of make sense of uh, disparate information, and then to be able to effectively communicate to a variety of partners. I think those are some of the key skills. Um, and that really could come from anybody who's, you know, in an FEE discipline or social behavioral sciences or health policy. Um, you know, those I think are, are some of the most important skills because you can be a great scientist and write the, you know, do the best quantitative analyses. But if you can't translate those findings for action, if you can't help people understand why is this important, you can't communicate that, you're not going to have the impact that you want. And so I do think those sort of bigger strategic thinking, um, you know, good communication, presentation skills are, are very critical. Good. Well, thank you. Let's move on to the lightning round. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions in succession and you just answer as fast as you can. Are you ready? Sure. What sport were you good at in high school? Soccer. What city has better food, Washington, D.C. or Atlanta? Oh, New York City. <laughs> what is your favorite public health movie? Hmm. Um, I like Outbreak. Outbreak. Yeah, I knew you were going to say Outbreak. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you're a pharmacist. You're a public health professional. And you're also a captain in the U.S. Public Health Service. How many push-ups can you do in a row? Not as many as I need to. Um, you're a pharmacist. Why do physicians' handwriting get worse after they graduate from medical school? Because <laughs> they're just testing to see whether or not pharmacists can decipher what they've written. As a pharmacist, did you have to take classes like on calligraphy or handwriting or anything like that, or do you just figure it out with experience? I would say it's more on the job training. What does a person need to be happy? Mm, connectedness. And if you were to do it all over again, would you have still joined the U.S. Public Health Service? Absolutely. Absolutely. It has been uh, and continues to be an honor to serve as a member of the Public Health Service. Well, Dr. Jones, that's all I have for uh, today. Thank you so much for all the work that you do, and thank you for being on the Prevention Matters podcast. Okay, great. Thanks so much. Thanks for the opportunity. The Prevention Matters podcast is the official podcast of the National Prevention Science Coalition. To find out more about the National Prevention Science Coalition or to become a member, please visit www.npscoalition.org. If you'd like to hear more episodes, please click on the subscribe button.